to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Man alone possesses a spirit, and it's through our spirits that we're aware of God. We have a consciousness of God. It's through our spirits that we commune with God. Man alone is a worshiper. And all men in all times and all places have this in common that they worship. Again, obviously, you don't find this in any other area of life. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, in a message titled, Made in the Image of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I think that you can build support from the Scripture that God is in some sort of bodily form. It's not material like the the material that we're made of, or it's not matter in the sense of what God created when he created the material universe. But in different passages of Scripture, we find, for example, God being seated upon the throne and there is the image, there is a bodily image of God that is being referred to there. If you think of Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, there in Revelation chapter 5, we have one who's sitting upon the throne and there's that glorious description that's given of him. And then in his right hand, there is a scroll. And of course, the lamb comes and and takes the scroll out of his hand. So although God doesn't possess a material body like we do, it seems to me that there is some correspondence in some way between our physical bodies and, and God's spiritual body. And I can't say anything more about it, and nobody else can either, because we, we just don't know. But it does seem that there is some connection, perhaps. But again, what is primarily being spoken of here is the immaterial part of man. We are body soul and spirit. The body, of course, is the material element. Our soul and our spirit are the immaterial elements of man. So when we read here in Genesis that God created man in his image, in the image of God created he, him, what is that referring to exactly? Well, I think there are three things that are being specifically referred to. First of all, God created us with personality. We are persons with personality, and our our physical bodies are simply a means of communicating that, but you know that your physical body is not you entirely. You know intuitively, you know that there's something else that's you that's more or less just living in this physical body. This This is a temporary dwelling place. It's a tent. The Bible refers to it as a tent. And this is something that we as people know more or less intuitively. 
I have this vivid memory of lying in my bed when I was a little kid. I was probably six or seven years old. But I remember it to this day. I remember lying there trying to figure out how you could die. And, and what I was trying to understand is, you know, how could you stop existing? How could I, even though I was a little boy at the time, but, you know, I, I am a, this distinct entity. How, how could I just not exist? And the reality is, I was onto something there. <laughs> you don't just stop existing. Your body might die, but that's just the material part of you. The immaterial part of us, of course, we know lives on. So, first of all, personality. Now, to have personality, one must possess knowledge feelings, and a will. And, of course, that can be said of God. It can be said of us as well. We can say that animals possess a certain degree of personality. But an animal does not reason as men do. I find myself sometimes trying to reason with my dog. You know, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't understand why she shouldn't do the kinds of things she does. Because animals, they cannot reason as men do. They only react to certain problems or stimuli. Uh, An animal does not create anything in the sense that people do. It only conforms to certain behavior patterns, even in as elaborate a pattern as constructing a nest, hive, or a dam, again, it's, it's more of an instinctive sort of a thing rather than a real creative type of a thing. Animals do not love as humans do. They only reproduce. And, of course, animals do not worship So personality in the sense that we're speaking of here is something that links man to God, but it does not link either man or God to the rest of creation. I think one of the strongest and oftentimes overlooked manifestations of man being in the image of God is the fact that man is a creator. You see, out of all life in the world, Man is a creator. And what we know historically as civilizations, civilizations are really man's creation and are indirect evidence that that man has been created. But think about the creativity of man. Think about all the things that men have produced over the the centuries, over the millennia. Think of some of the great buildings. There are ancient structures. There are modern structures that are just phenomenal. They're unbelievable feats. With my children living up in the Bay Area 
It's taken us across the Golden Gate Bridge many times in the last few years. And every time I cross that bridge, I just think, astounding. And, and, but, you know, a lot of this stuff, we, we just sort of take it for granted. But if you think about it in those terms, all that we see that has been produced by men is evidence of man's creativity. Think of the poems, the plays, the songs, the pictures. Think of the electronic gadgets, the cars, the airplanes, the space shuttles. You know, it's really quite astounding when you think about it. And especially when you realize that there's not another creature in all of time, anywhere that we've ever evidenced, there's not another creature that is even remotely close in those creative types of abilities or processes. There's nothing that even remotely compares to it. You know, there are some fascinating things that animals and insects can do. But by comparison, they are relatively insignificant. But man is a creator. And as a creator, he is reflecting his image. And so this is all part of that attribute of personality, knowledge, feelings, will. But then secondly... Being created in God's image implies morality. The great distinction between right and wrong belongs to man alone. You know that. Listen to what Darwin said in regard to that. He said, I fully subscribe to the judgment of those writers who maintain that of all the differences between man and the lower animals The moral sense or conscience is by far the most important. This sense is summed up in the short but imperious word ought, so full of high significance. It is the most noble of all the attributes of man. So even Darwin himself, he he saw this and realized, okay, this this is problematic for my theories because you don't find this anywhere else the distinction between right and wrong. But then thirdly, being created in the image of God would refer to our spirituality. Now, only man possesses a spirit. Plant life is is bodily life. Animal life is soulish life. But human life is spiritual life. Human life has that other element of the soulish, but we have the additional dimension of the spirit that is not the experience of any other of the created beings. Man alone possesses a spirit, and it's through our spirits that we're aware of God. We have a consciousness of God. It's through our spirits that we commune with God. Man alone is a worshiper. And all men in all times and all places have this in common that they worship. Again, obviously, you don't find this 
in any other area of life. You don't find this at all. There's nothing even close to it. But with all people, for all times, in all places, there is this common denominator of worshiping a superior being or a supreme being or worshiping something other or something above and and beyond themselves. Even those who refer to themselves as atheists today, you find if you listen to them closely enough, you can detect who their God is. They have a God, and oftentimes in our day, it's science or philosophy. It's the intellect, basically. It's their own brilliance or something like that. They're worshiping themselves. But this is the common denominator among all human beings. We possess personality. We know that there is a distinction between right and wrong, and there is that spiritual element. So when the Bible speaks of us being made in the image and in the likeness of God, that's primarily what it's referring to. Not our physical bodies, although there might be some, somewhat of a connection there. It's, it's the immaterial part of man that's being spoken of. Now, there are some other things that attest to man being made in God's image. But again, these are things that we don't really stop to think about. But if you if you spend just a few moments pondering these things, it's, it's really quite amazing. Think of this. Man alone has a natural countenance looking upward. I mean, this is something that even the evolutionists, of course, have latched onto, the whole idea of homo erectus, you know, the man standing upright versus the ape hunched over. And even in the evolutionary theories, there, that's where the real distinction comes. It becomes, the, the distinction is there between the upright man and the, and the hunched over man. But, you know, again, these are things that we don't so much think about. But if you stop and think about it, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. Out of all of the creatures in all of the world, only man is upright, and his natural glance is upward rather than downward. Man alone has a variety of facial expressions. Again, these are things that I know that I don't think too much about. But as I read over some of these things and some of the comments made on them, and as I started to think about it, I thought, wow, you know, That's true. But we alone, we have this ability to sometimes even speak without speaking, don't we? We've all heard the saying, if looks could kill, boy, you'd be dead. What are we talking about? We're talking about the ability to communicate just through facial expression. That's a human trait, only a human trait. Man alone, here is a really interesting one to me. Man alone has a sense of shame expressing itself in a blush. Man alone has, a, has an innate sense of shame over certain things. 
Now, again, I don't want to get graphic at all, but you know, if you have a pet, you have an animal of any sort, you know that they're not ashamed of anything. <laughs> they have no shame when it comes to going out in the street and you know, starting to chow on that dead animal that was hit by a car last night. There's no shame whatsoever. You can protest all you want. That's disgusting. That's a get away from there. And there's no shame. But we alone, we have that, that sense of shame. When we've done something wrong or when we've been caught doing something that we know we shouldn't have been doing, and that shame will manifest itself in a blush that we have no control over. But here is probably the greatest distinguishing factor that we so often overlook because we take it so much for granted. Man alone speaks. Man alone speaks. Now, the evolutionists, they have been working overtime with different animals, trying to get them to learn to speak. Because, of course, their theories would lead them to believe that animals ought to be able to communicate. They ought to be able to have a language. They probably do have a language. We just have to, you know, tap into it and understand it. Surely they have, you know, very similar capacities to us. And they've done much work with apes because apes are, as far as the DNA goes, they're very close to us when it comes to their DNA. But in all of their attempts to teach apes to speak or to even use sign language or to communicate in the most elementary form, the the types of forms that a two-year-old can communicate in, they have utterly failed on all accounts. I read an article by my friend Fred Field on the subject of language and this whole issue here of this distinct feature in man Regarding language, he said, there is a great gulf between human language and animal communication. As a result, one must wonder how it is that every member of humankind has this capacity while none of the other 10 million or so species does. If chimps and humans are equally evolved or developed having a common ancestor as evolutionary thinking would have us believe, then why is it that no other primate species also has it, at least in some form? All things being equal, the premise for the Planet of the Apes series of films seems quite reasonable, assuming the accepted beliefs of evolutionary thinking. Furthermore, applying the principles of equal development to a wider sample, one must ask why orders of reptilians that have presumably been around longer than their mammal counterparts have not also developed some sort of language skills. This is the stuff of science fiction, not true science. Apparently, we are to assume that the mathematical probabilities are one in 10 million, that any species will develop language, and humans are the winners. We just happen to have the optimal biological makeup and inhabit the optimal planet 
with the optimal environment in the optimal solar system in the optimal galaxy. The knowledge of language sets us apart from all other species that we know of so far. It is part of our unique heritage, our biological endowment. Its significance may be difficult to appreciate because so many aspects of it are unconscious and taken for granted. We are simply unaware of what we do when we do language. From a biblical perspective, it is an aspect of our humanity that links us to the infinite. It allows us to gain and express real knowledge, to learn of our respective environments and ourselves, and ultimately to reach many things and ideas that are beyond our individual capabilities. The obvious coherence of language and the language faculty raises significant questions about how random mutations could possibly account for such profound and effective order. So language itself, it it's baffles. These evolutionary scientists are, are baffled why these primates aren't able to communicate like they ought to be able to if their theories are accurate. And yet it's something that is so instinctive with us as people. And so these are the all of the things that are implied in being created in the image of God. Now, you know, to me, and I would imagine to you as well, this stuff is as plain as the nose on your face. It's so obvious that man is distinct from the rest of creation. And the irony with these these humanistic atheists with these men that have embraced these evolutionary ideas, you know, the irony is that all of the evidence, everything, everything points in the opposite direction of their theories, but they still hold tenaciously to their theories in the face of all of the evidence against it. They still cling to their theories, saying, we're going to find that missing link. We're going to, you know, I don't know if you saw you know, the discovery, the missing link they've now discovered. Uh, the missing link is somewhere between a flounder and a halibut. <laughs> and over millions of years, one of the eyes drifted over to the other side of the head. And, you know, I'm telling you, I'm reading this stuff, and I just can't believe that it's even printed in the news. And even the guys that are, are promoting the idea that that it's the missing link, you can tell by reading the article that they really are grasping at straws. You can tell that, you know, they themselves don't believe this is the missing link. But it's the best we've got up until this point. Now, we're talking about being, man being created in the image of God, and we're talking about all of the glory of that, and we're talking about the personality and the morality and the spirituality. But of course, We don't see that as we look around us today, do we? And that is because man is not presently what he originally was or what he was intended to be. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
I want to tell you about a really fun book that I stumbled across recently. It's by Andrew Wilson, and it's a book called God of All Things, subtitle, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. And the cover of the book kind of says it all. There's a bird, there's a pig, there's a tree, there's a flower, there's a salt shaker, a loaf of bread, a fish, there's rain. And Andrew does an amazing job of just looking at all of these common things around us and seeing different aspects of who God is and what he's done through those things. So I used it for a devotional time. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend Andrew Wilson's God of All Things. Again, this month's resource is a book titled God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. You can order the book God of All Things by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, to help you discover God is in the everyday things of life. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.